We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Welcome to a special edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT, which was recorded live at the ICRT ECCT 2020 Election Roundtable event, which took place in Taipei earlier this week. And I was joined at the event by Alexander Huang, a professor of international affairs and strategic studies at the Danjiang University, who currently serves as Hangor Yu's defence and diplomatic affairs advisor. Joanna Lei, a former KMT lawmaker who has served on several legislative committees and is a well-known political commentator, Lord Jiajiang, a DPP lawmaker and former chairman of the party's Department of International Affairs, and Taiwan This Week regular commentator, Ross Feingold. And we will jump straight in at the beginning, and we'll jump, which will be the polls. Recent polls, of course, have shown that President Tsai Ing-wen has a rather large lead. But the question is, does she deserve another four years in office? And what will Hang Yu be bringing to the presidential office if he wins January's ballot? So we'll start with law. There you go. This, does does, does, does Tsai Ing-wen deserve another four years? That's for sure. <laughs> but uh, let me start with some basic facts. First of all, uh, the election will be uh, held on uh, 11th of January uh, 2020. That was two weeks before the Lunar New Year holidays. And that will affect the voters' turnout. Okay. It's also the final week of the semester, which will affect the young people's uh, voters' turnout. Uh, because uh, from was that, 2012, we combined the two elections in one. In other words, uh, legislative election and the presidential election in one, on one date. But before that, we separated two elections. And presidential election is always having a higher voter turnout. But for the LY election, the turnout is very low. But because, according to the Constitution, the uh, later, uh, lawmakers have to be sworn in uh, on February 1st. But the president will be inaugurated on May 20th. So when we have a two-in-one election, the election will be held in January, sometime in January. But that will affect the voters now. Let me give you some facts. In, 2000, uh, in year 2000 election, the voters now is uh, 82 0.69%. Very high voter turnout. But at that time, the presidential election is, was held in March. And the LY election, election is one year before. It's February, December, one year before the uh, presidential election. But starting from year 2004, uh, voter turnout is 80%, 80 2008, 76%. And 2012, 74%. And 2016, the voter turnout is 66.7%. So if you see the trend of the voters now is dropping, and that has to do uh, with this has to do with the uh, you know combination of the two elections in one. And the second fact is that there will be no referendum this time. <laughs> you know, before uh, the election last year, we all have always have referendum bills plus the election. And for many parties, they use the referendum to mobilize their supporters. And, but that makes the election process more complicated. But it's good for the political parties to use the referendum as a way to mobilize their supporters. But in, in June this year, we change, we amend the referendum bill, referendum law, separating the referendum and the election. So starting from next year, there will be no... Uh, connection or links between referendum and election. And I would say that that will also uh, imp- have some impacts on the voters' turnout. 
because next year it'll be easy, only elections, no referendum, bill to be voted on. And the third fact is how many presidential candidates we may have. <laughs> now we have two, of course, uh, with their party recommendation. But uh, former vice president, uh, Annie Rue, uh, is still uh, collecting signatures. Hopefully uh, she can get about, what's that, uh, 280,000 uh, votes, signatures, to make, him, make her a uh, viable candidate. And the registration, the date for registration of the candidacy will be from uh, uh, November 18th uh, to 22nd. So before that, she needs to collect more than uh, 280,000 signatures. And the other two parties also have the right to nominate their candidates. Uh, People First Party, uh, People First Party, and the New Power Party. Okay, so it will be up to the two parties to decide whether they are going to nominate their own presidential candidates. Okay, and there will be rumors about uh, James Song running again <laughs> for the uh, on behalf of the People's First Party. We don't know yet, but that's a possibility. Okay, if James Song doesn't want to run again, probably he will or his party will give a ticket to someone else. Probably Wang Jinping or I don't know. Okay, and so what are what are at stake here? Okay. First of all, uh, since the beginning of the direct election of the president in Taiwan, the incumbent president always won the re-election. Okay. So the key issue here is whether the president, you know, President Tsai, will continue to have this kind of legacy of reigning again, re-election. Okay. But as I said. According to the history of Taiwan's democratization, the incumbent president always won the re-election. Secondly, uh, whether the party, the ruling party now, Democratic Progressive Party, will continue to have the majority in the LY. Okay, because in uh, from year two thousand to two thousand eight, when we, when our party was in power, we were a minority government. Okay, we won the presidential election, but we lost. Well, we didn't control the majority in LY. So at that time, it's very difficult for our party to, to run the government because we are a minority. So in many cases, this kind of a great luck happened a lot, especially on some controversial and very important issues, such as, uh, such as arms purchases from the United States. Okay? So whether we are going to have a divided government or the unified government, it will be up to the uh, result of the legislative election. So that's the second issue. Uh, to me, is very important here. And also, finally, it's about the uh, continuity and the ch possible changes about policies. Okay. If the president, President Tsai wins the re-election, but he, her party, or our party, doesn't have the majority in LY, then probably she has to come to terms with the opposition party to, job, to modify some of the policies. So whether her reform agenda or policy agenda will continue will be more likely to be affected by whether the TPP will continue to have majority in the LY. So these are the key issues I will be paying more close attention to. As to the possible result of the election, probably uh, I will wait for the second round to talk about that. Thank you. How would Mr. Hans man come back? Well... <clears throat> Four years ago, when in our last presidential election, um, we already knew about uh, the policy directions and, uh, and the goals of uh, Xi Jinping on, across the Taiwan Strait. But we did not know that the United States would 
back out from TPP, uh, the climate change, uh, the INF Treaty, and many uh, new things that took place in the past four years, three plus years. And, um, and uh, four years ago, when we elect uh, President Tsai Ing-wen, there was no pressing mandatory uh, maneuver from the People's Liberation Army uh, on the other side. Uh, and uh, earlier this year in March, we experienced the first incursion of Chinese fighter jets of the median line in the Taiwan Strait uh, after 19 years. So uh, we are now in a uh, different situation. I know that uh, Taiwan voters have been always very generous and uh, always had been in such a mindset to give a second term to the incumbent, in the, at least in the past 20 plus years. Um, but this time, uh, our challenges uh, are greater than before not only because of the uncertainties between uh, President Donald Trump and President Xi Jinping, the trade war, the future so-called long-term strategic competition between the United States and China, which would probably uh, redefine uh, the global politics for the entire century, uh, but also uh, we witness uh, the very challenging agenda in China itself. Um, China, Xi Jinping just celebrated uh, the 70th anniversary of the People's Republic, and uh, he needs to fulfill the, the goal, the benchmark he set for himself uh, 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 is to uh, make China's uh, uh, most uh, modestly prosperous society in all sectors, or 全面建成小康社会 by 2020. And the year next is the centennial of the Communist Party of China, and followed by 2022, that Xi Jinping needs to turn in his report cards on almost everything uh, at the uh, 20th Party's Congress. Um, um, and by 2023, Xi Jinping will test uh, the amended constitution to extend his presidency for the third term. So the next, our next presidency, the four years of our next presidency, well, parallel to the very, very challenging agenda on the other side of the Taiwan Strait. So the question is very good, and it should be asked to ourselves and to all our voters uh, that should we continue the current uh, government for four more years? Uh, uh, shall we review uh, the past three-plus years and... Uh, to think whether it would be nice <clears throat> to put on hold um, of the current policy. Um, we know that cross-trade 
relations has been down for uh, almost four years. Uh, there is n- absolutely no communication, no official contact. Um, and uh, shall we maintain such a situation for four more years? Uh, and those are the issues that Taiwan voters need to think for themselves. Um, so this is a very, very challenging uh, time for, for Taiwan. Uh, I know it's not easy uh, for, uh, for anyone who wins the next election. I would say um, the loser in next January will have a happy life. Uh, the winner of the uh, presidential election would probably have no honeymoon at all and will carry and help Taiwan and go through the very, very challenging next four years. So I, I hope that all the uh, voters and uh, our friends from overseas, uh, the businessmen in Taiwan, can understand that this is not the time to ask the question whether Taiwan is pro-United States or pro-China. I think this is the time for Taiwan voters to ask themselves whether, to what extent that we can at least maximize our own interests in the next four years. Joanna, change or no change? Hopefully there's change. When um, Professor Lo said, absolutely, I'm thinking to myself, hopefully not. So let me give you three quick answers. Will Tsai Ing-wen remain our president in the next term? Hopefully not. Hopefully not, because during his first term, Taiwan's democracy actually went through a period of deterioration. The words are still there. The lingos are beautiful. Semantics are wonderful. But it is like a studio set, all facade and no structural support. During her first term, a lot of changes on the fundamental principles of rule of law has been challenged. Look at the new institutions being set. Look at how LY has expanded its power by passing laws, authorizing forming of new administrative agencies, and allowing the administrative branch to also hold judicial, judiciary power and deem, such as National Women's Leagues, properties to be ill-gotten or unlawful and thereby confiscate 1.5 billion U.S. dollars. That's what I'm saying. It's a beautiful facade of democracy, but the structural support without rule of law, the restraint of power, the expansion of administrative power has changed the fundamental of our democracy. So I said hopefully not, because we're moving quickly into a illiberal democracy, as Zachariah said in 1996. Secondly, when Professor Luo talked about LY and how the first term of Chen Shibi's term was a gridlock, let me tell you why there is a gridlock. The gridlock was because the DPP used their minority seats and extremely strong protests to block issues and bills that's possible, I think, positive to the people. For example, direct flight across Taiwan Strait. They broke my finger, this finger, not my middle finger, this finger, during the physical fight in LY for direct flight. So the gridlock was not all 
a sort of inconvenience for GPP. It was something that actually had a fundamental and extremely strong consequences to the livelihood and well-being of the people. And LY should be a people, should be a place that people vote rather than fight. Thirdly, let me quickly say, I think it's very important to listen to Professor Huang. This is not a pro-China or pro-U.S. discussion, even though the United States has shown an unprecedented high level of involvement in Taiwan's local election. The U.S. involvement is expressed and manifested in many areas, starting from Congress to State Department to even CIA, their Pacific, Indo-Pacific Command Center. I mean, there are a lot of U.S. blatant expression of uh, support, which was unprecedented. Probably the last time this kind of support happened was during the warring time when Taiwan and mainland China was still directly confronting. My father was a Navy rear admiral. He dedicated his life fighting China, so there's no question in my mind that we're anti-communism. But Taiwan has gone into a period of peace and stability with mainland China, which is very, very precious. People in my father's generation and my generation have suffered, and now we are now seeing the tide turning, and that's dangerous. But let me say one more thing about this election. The election will be discussed and decided, sometimes by voter turnout and all this U.S. analysis of how an election is analyzed. But in Taiwan, I think there are four big factors this year. The first one is fear. Scare tactic, fear tactic will be used left and right. Oh, if you do this, Taiwan will be that. Uh, Taiwan will be overtaken by mainland China. Fear tactic will be a very important factor in the last 90 days of the campaign. Fear. The second one, equally strong emotion, is probably anger. Because there are a lot of hidden, silent majority who have experienced their livelihood being changed in the last three years. They are the silent majority that has no political voice, nor are they powerful in the internet. So they have no internet volume, but they have their single vote. So anger will be the other one. The undercurrents is there. The third one is techies, the cyber techies the ones who knows how to manipulate in traditional internet media, website, social media, the techies will be a very major force. And the fourth one is also T, is technical election maneuver. Whether Taiwan will continue to be a free and fair election, it's being questioned this time. Because I'm not trying to backmouth uh, DBP, but look at the last Taipei mayoral campaign, a mayoral election. How can the campaign poll not close at the time when it's supposed to close? And one candidate openly declared that he threw in his tower so that his votes can transfer into the other side. So this kind of minor campaign maneuver may be expanded to major campaign maneuver if one party should decide that it's not to their favor. Let's also look at who is now head of a central election committee. That person is supposed to be nonpartisan, and DPP forced a highly partisan politician to be the head of central election committee or commission, the commissioner. 
So I think people may say, oh, maybe you're just worrying too much. I was a U.S. scholar, worked in American media, preached American style of electoral democracy. I believe in democracy, and I see the dilapidation of Taiwan. The democracy is now a beautiful facade. The structural part is now being challenged. So finally, let me read quickly the couple of laws that's passed. We passed National Security Acts, five. We're contemplating Foreign Agent Act, one, being contemplated, debated in the LY, which is very similar to what DPP has challenged as the martial law type of control. Our NCC selected, selectively find one news media repeatedly because the speech is not to their standard, of course, under the disguise of open and equal access. But that's challenging First Amendment right, challenging your right to also, in the ill-gotten party asset act, it's challenging your property act. In the political party act, which are all passed, it's challenging your right to political participation. So let me sum up. Your freedom of speech, your property right, which was the number one in England's Magna Carta, the first right people fight their rulers in terms of democracy. Your freedom of speech, your property right, your right to participate politically, and all of this, and even to the right to say something the government doesn't like. And these things are all being changed, challenged. In the LY, that DPP has a clear majority. So even if the two-term myth continues, Tsai Ing-wen continues to be the president, I certainly hope DPP doesn't win majority in the LY. Otherwise, there's no check and balance. There's no force that can balance an extremely powerful administrative power and the institution of presidency. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is my two cents. I carry my two hats. I'm not just a scholar commentator. I'm also a victim. I'm the chairperson of National Women's League. They're confiscating our $1.5 billion of asset simply because they deem, D-E-E-M, they deem using an institution to deem us to be KMT's affiliate. Therefore, our assets are ill-gotten, and therefore government confiscate us. So this is not just theory. This is the dirty, ugly truth of Taiwan's democracy, and it's deteriorating to the extent that you cannot see. The facade are still beautiful, but ladies and gentlemen, it's a studio set. It's just a facade. Thank you so much. Right, before we let law come back on being picked on over there, yeah, because we feel a bit sorry for him there after that one. Um, and Joanna talked about US analysts talking about the Taiwan election. So as the token American on the stage, Ross Feingold, what's this about American commentary about Taiwan's election? Well, it's certainly a fact that the United States has a, a very strong interest in this election result. We've seen a deterioration of democracy around Asia in places such as the Philippines, Thailand, countries that were never a democracy such as Vietnam and obviously China and the ongoing situation in Hong Kong has caused an even greater interest by the United States, not just by the executive branch, State Department, Defense Department, but Congress, the legislative branch, and obviously a lot of scholars and commentators are closely watching the Taiwan election and care very much about 
Taiwan's security and, and the continued uh, autonomy that Taiwan enjoys without being bullied by China. So it shouldn't surprise us that we've seen this growth in U.S. interest in Taiwan. But ultimately, Gavin, this election, and, and I feel strongly about this as an American, this is an election for the voters of Taiwan. I mean, I've done campaigning for U.S. presidential candidates while living here in Asia, and a lot of people come up to me and give their opinion, and I'll say, well, that's very nice, but you don't get to vote because you're not an American citizen. So the, ultimately, this election is up, for, up to the voters of Taiwan, and you, you mentioned the growing lead that President Tsai has in the polls. And this will come down to whether or not the voters, the ones that turn out, because as Professor uh, Legislator Lowe pointed out, turnout is falling. But for the ones that turn out, do do they feel the country is on the right track? And Professor Huang and and Ms. Lei gave a lot of reasons why the country might not be on the right track. The poll numbers don't necessarily reflect that today. It seems that a growing plurality, if not necessarily majority, feel that the country's on the right track, whether it's, it's economic, trade issues, or how the government is handling cross-strait relations. And if enough of a plurality feel that way, then President Tsai is going to be reelected. And that shouldn't surprise us. And we, again, we've, we've talked about some of the recent examples of incumbents being reelected, whether it was President Chen, although that was under somewhat unique circumstances in a very close election, uh, President Ma was reelected by a very, very comfortable amount, even though he lost a bit from his first election. But he still won reelection by a comfortable amount, which showed that after his first four years, 51 percent of the voters said, you know what, this guy's doing an OK job, so we'll vote for him again. Uh, we mentioned America. He did almost no campaigning last year. He, he thought he would just easily win reelection. So he just went about his job. But for America, going about his job was sufficient to get reelected. You know, enough people said, you know what, this guy's doing an okay job. I'm not going to vote for the DPP candidate or the, the KMT candidate. I, I think America's doing all right. So he got reelected, even though it was under somewhat disputed circumstances, and it was very close. It, actually, I think if he had campaigned, he would have won by a larger margin because enough people in this Taipei City would have said, the guy's doing an okay job. So if President Tsai can convince enough people that you know, she's doing an okay job, whether it's on the, the various issues we, we discussed, uh, trade, defense, China policy, other social policy, elder care, job creation for young people. If she can convince enough people that she's doing an okay job, and as of now it looks that way, and Mayor Han hasn't convinced enough people otherwise, then she'll win re-election, and she might win re-election quite easily. Lawmaker Law, you can obviously, you've got a bit picked on there by our two people here. Would you like to come back to anything they said? Well, I don't want to argue against any uh, details of what uh, uh, Ms. Lee just pointed out. But uh, Dr. Lee, sorry. Uh, one thing I want to point out is that according to the Freedom House report, 2019, Taiwan is still listed as one of the most free countries in the world in terms of a protection of civil liberties, political rights, freedom ratings, and so on. So that's one of the objective assessment of what happens in Taiwan's democracy and liberty. And, but I want to point out, though, uh, in Taiwan politics, I agree that in most cases, voters are quite generous uh, in, in giving credits to any incumbent, mayors, city, county magistrates, or even president. If the president is doing okay and by voting, the alternative candidates could lead to some uncertainties. Then probably uh, people in town will continue to favor 
uh, this kind of incumbent uh, president. But according to the survey, uh, pollings in Taiwan, and obviously President Tsai is having a lead uh, against uh, Mayor Han. So if nothing big or dramatic happens in the you know, incoming two months, I think it's very likely for the president to uh, win her re-election. So the key battlefield now is the LY election. In other words, our party has now focused more resources, more energies on the uh, efforts or goal of having the majority in LY. Okay? Because if we can continue to have the majority or comfortable majority in LY, then our president's reform agenda and policy agenda will continue, including many important policy issues, such as arms purchase, such as cross-trade policies or foreign policies. And I don't think that president has done a lousy job for the past three years. You know, if you look at all the macroeconomic data, Taiwan is doing okay. On the, even on the diplomatic front, except for the, uh, the number of diplomatic allies we lost, I think in terms of substantial relations that Taiwan has with the U.S., European countries, and many other countries, I think we have seen a, a lot of improvements or progress on those relationships. I think people realize that. So... I don't think that uh, the president uh, should, be, should not be given any credits for making progress on those issues. For instance, the Go South or the new Southbound policy. Okay? Ever since the, her inauguration, the president initiated the so-called new Southbound policy, trying to reach out to the South Asian, Southeast Asian countries. And we increase our investments in those countries. We expand our trade relationship with those countries. The result of which is that we are less damaged by the rivalry between the U.S. and China's trade war. That's very important. Without that kind of policy, I think Taiwan would be hurt more now than would, that Taiwan would have been uh, three years ago. So I think that's a very smart and important uh, trade strategy for the, uh, 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 that would deserve some credit. So overall, I think that I would say that people are be, will be more willing to, uh, to give some credits to the president, and hopefully that they will be vote against, uh, vote again for the president. Thank you. Ryan, of course, Law mentioned the legislative elections, and of course, Alexander, there's more parties now. Obviously, there's Cohen Jer's got a political party. The New Power Party have lost some members who will be running as independents in the legislative election. Other parties will put candidates forward. So with so many parties now vying for legislative seats, do you think that personality could prove more important than party when voters go to the polls? Well, I think personality or the candidate uh, has been, um, um, you know, pretty much a focal point uh, in recent uh, campaign and also uh, last year's uh, local elections. I think um, people tended to uh, pick uh, the candidate rather than, you know, looking at their policy platform or or the party affiliation. I think uh, it's a temporary train uh, for now. Uh, you raise a very important uh, angle: is that uh, there there are more parties, uh, and we expect. I think. Uh, my, my friend, uh, legislative law, had continued to emphasize that, uh, that DPP needs to hold the majority. Uh, but the reality is that there will be more uh, 
diversified seats in our parliament. Uh, in other words, um, the landscape, the political landscape, would be sharply different from what we see today. Um, I don't believe uh, that either DPP or KMT will have a dominating majority. Even a comfortable majority would be very much harder. Uh, even with a majority, still, in all major policy or big spending bills, there will be prolonged negotiation and, uh, and a give and take uh, in the, during the process. So the political um, effectiveness or the performance of the uh, legislative yuan uh, would be a very challenging fact for the next president. Again, uh, whether a unified government uh, is better for Taiwan or a divided government is better, well, uh, we have different records. You know, when President Ma Ying-jeou first got elected and uh, KMT and uh, the Pan Blue had more than 75% of the uh, seats in the parliament but did not get too much done. Uh, and uh, DPP... Uh, in 2016, uh, for the first time, controls both legislative and executive branch and got a lot of things done, even with, uh, you know, uh, a theme majority. Um, uh, so I think uh, the challenge for Taiwan is not only uh, the elections of the LY, because we know it's going to be much more complicated than today. Uh, I would focus more on the presidential campaign because it, it leads the direction. You know, uh, again, the the perfect question is that: Do you want four more years of this? Uh, can Taiwan bear upon this deteriorated situation for four more years? Uh, because the United States election is after hours. You know, by the time we celebrate our Lunar New Year next year, that will be the time, the beginning of the primaries in the United States. Uh, it's as chaotic as you can imagine. Uh, of course, uh, the result of the U.S. election next year would not necessarily uh, pull Taiwan into whatsoever different situation. But the reality is that Taiwan cannot escape from the, the grain chessboard between China and the United States. And that's for sure. And again, I need to say that we need to ask ourselves what is best for Taiwan. We continue. Uh, we, sh we had no communication with uh, the other side for almost four years. And uh, we will not to have institutional dialogue with China for yet another four-plus year. Is that good for Taiwan? Should there be a situation? We asked the question, would there be more fighter jets incursion of the median line and military pressure if we continue this for four more years? Or we will have less. You know, there will be no one in Taiwan that would sign a peace accord with Beijing because Xi Jinping had already 
change the chart. We can do our best if we can <coughs> to maintain an equal footing negotiation. And that would be the best. But I think the campaign theme this year is not how to sign a, a, an accord and yet another agreement with Beijing. The vote will determine whether the 23 agreements signed during the Mindjo administration would be honored or would be terminated. Can Taiwan, would Taiwan be better off if Beijing unilaterally declare, according to the clause, to terminate the ECFA with Taiwan? Would that be better off? How many tools in the box that Beijing can exercise and use against Taiwan? So for me, the election is not whether to champion whatever value you have. For the next four years, the election is how to preserve Taiwan's basic value and survivability and make sure we buy time. I love, lastly, I want to say I agree because this is a rare opportunity that we have uh, a president, uh, a National Security Council uh, advisor, and a defense and state officials that all support arms sales to Taiwan. And this year we have two big items, the M1A2T tanks and uh, F-16 Viper uh, uh, fighter jets. Uh, that's all very nice. Big, you know, item. And we're going to spend a lot of taxpayers' money to acquire that. But the reality is that they won't come until the presidency next. So in the next four years, all these new items will not be available for Taiwan. So to me, it's very easy and simple. The next four years is the time for Taiwan to strengthen our economy, the time not to antagonize Beijing for nothing. It's the time that not having our foreign minister to send Twitter and blast Beijing. If we have any issue with Beijing, let the Men and Affairs Council to do it. There is a nuance to deal with Beijing. You know, you can blame, you can use all kinds of dirty words against Beijing, but try Menan Affairs Council, but not the Foreign Ministry. You understand that. Right, there we go. Joanna, of course, you spent your time on the legislative chamber on the floor there. How do you see a possible legislative UN divided between so many different parties and independent candidates? Well, certainly at the end of the day, a caucus needs three seats. So if there are smaller parties that get one or two seats, they need to congregate and form their caucus. Caucus is the basis for negotiation, so they will realign after the election. But let me just add two more words about a majority lead in the LY. What does it mean? When KMT has the majority in LY, it did not abuse its power. But when DPP had the majority in Tsai Ing-wen's term, it did abuse its power. It quickly passed all the laws, which is hardly partisan, 
and also formed institutions that is not constitutional and now being challenged. Even just you know, in our case, in the illegal or ill-gotten party asset, you know, the term is so complicated, it doesn't make any sense. But ill-gotten party asset committee case, there are at least four constitutional cases asking the judicial branch to decide whether the Congress can pass this kind of laws. So, and also it's against the U.S. Constitution, by the way. So I just want to add, a majority in the LY, if it's consistent with the executive branch, it gives the executive branch and the presidential extremely high power. And that high power, if exercised with restraint, that could be efficient. But if abused, that could be totalitarian. So whether it's an efficient system or totalitarian, depends on whether the ones who hold the power and exercise the power exercise restraint under the principles of the rule of law. And I think from the outside, you may still see the beautiful facade, and therefore I'm not forting the random house to see Taiwan. And by the way, compared to our lots of neighbors, we are still a thriving democracy. But we now hold, and we're at a crossroad, we have an electoral democracy. But whether it's an illegal or illiberal democracy is being challenged at this time. And lastly, if Taiwan is doing so well, because he has his nose and I have my nose, and women always have nose because we don't. Um, between two elections, DPP lost 18% supporters. In 2016, it won with a huge landslide, 56.1%. And people all remember, poor uh, Eric Chu got only 3.81 uh, million votes. But in the last mayoral election, the 9-in-1 election 2018, DPP got 36.2. 18% their own voters, which voted for Tsai Ing-wen in the presidential election, two years later decided to swing their votes. Such a huge swing is a very major telltale sign, meaning that there's still something People who live in this land feel uncomfortable. And that will, I think, and hopefully reflected in the LY election because it's decided by 300,000 people in each small little district. So their personal experience, not those big, grandiose, grand strategies about nation, state, but their personal experience. They know whether they are better off than four years ago. They know whether their kids have better future than four years ago. And they know whether they can now feel comfortable retiring and dying here in Taiwan. And those votes will decide on the LY results. And LY will realign after the election. That is my two cents. Thank you so much. Now, Ross, I mean, there's been much ado about perceived Chinese influence in the upcoming elections. So do you think that Beijing has the wherewithal to meddle in Taiwan's media and swing the ballot? It's interesting you mentioned this because the earlier question was about foreign commentators. And we see a lot of foreign commentators who seem to know Taiwan better than those of us who live here. And they say, oh, Taiwan is completely taken over by Chinese media, all this Chinese meddling. 
uh, I have a lot more faith in the voters of Taiwan that they could make their own decisions, and, and the other panelists have been giving compelling arguments for one side or the other, whether to vote for Tsai Ing-wen as well as DPP legislative candidates or to vote for Han Go-yu and Kuomintang legislative candidates. Uh, so each side can make very compelling arguments, and I think the voters here are, are smart enough uh, to the extent they turn out. Uh, they've been through many democratic elections over the past 25 years, and uh, I, I am concerned about this talking point in that it doesn't necessarily apply. People have a lot of information options. I was just chatting before with legislator Lowe, who told me every, every day he goes back to his district when he's done with his business in the legislative UN. So voters could see him, whether they, his, his constituents, whether they like him or dislike him, they can come to his office and, and talk to you, yeah? So, so and, and that's before you talk about the wide range of newspapers or TV stations. If you don't like what they're saying on, on Zhongtian about how great Han Yu is, change the channel. <laughs> Watch me and Shun, they'll tell you how great Tsai Ing-wen is. Well, now, some of their hosts have some unorthodox ideas, so they got fired, but we won't, we won't talk about that. Uh, but, 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 but they go to San Li, and, and, and they'll say how great Tsai Ing-wen is. And, and with the internet and social media, Facebook pages, there's such a wide range of choices, and I think voters are smart enough to determine if something is, is just a bot from China, if it's completely fake news. Uh, there's been this crackdown on fake news, and, and uh, perhaps Dr. Lay would say it's one more example of, of legislative overreach, the way some of these laws ha- have been written, because now we, we read cases about you know, some senior citizen who's getting uh, arrested because they, they wrote something critical about, about a, a politician. I mean, I would suggest the politicians just lay off and say that's a, that's a nice older person and we could ignore them. Uh, but I don't think that stuff, Gavin, really sways voters because, again, I think the voters are smart. We should respect them. Uh, so last year, we've been talking about how the shift as Dr. Lay mentioned, from 2016 to 2018, and, and the KMT did very well uh, in the local election, it's because voters were dissatisfied with some of the things that the central government was doing, or they were dissatisfied with the options in their local election. You know, people didn't like Chen Chi Mai, so they voted for Han Yu. They were unhappy with Lin Jialong, so they voted for Lu Xiu Yen. Right? This is not a surprise, and, and it's not because China was was... You know, brainwashing the voters all across Taiwan. I, again, I think the voters make their own choices without being influenced by that. And, and we see the same thing now in that Tsai Ing-wen's poll number is increasing. Again, as I was saying earlier, people seem to think, or a growing number seem to think, she's doing an okay job, I'll just vote for her again. So obviously China's not brainwashing them to vote against Tying one, uh, so I'm a little concerned about this talking point about about the the China influence over the media because I, I think voters are clearly able to make their own decisions here in Taiwan, and, th- and that's a great thing, and we should ensure that that continues to happen. So, lawmaker law, the red media menace, or smart intellectual voters? <laughs> Obviously, we had to increase the media literacy of the voters in Taiwan as well. But I have to say that China's influence in Taiwan is becoming more sophisticated and subtle. And using social media is one of the new tactics. Uh, for instance, there have been all kinds of false information, fake news circulating in the social media, and many of those uh, sources are actually from outside Taiwan. And I, have to be, I wouldn't be surprised many of the sources are from China. And one of the purpose of doing this kind of fake news is to discredit the Thai administration. Okay? And also, obviously, uh, we have seen China restricting 
the traveling of their tourists uh, uh, to, to, to Taiwan. And that's also one of the tactics they are using. Whether they, these tactics are counterproductive or productive, I don't know. But they are doing something to influence the politics in Taiwan. And also, uh, by taking away some of the diplomatic allies that Taiwan has, is also one way to discredit uh, the, the Thai administration. So it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised that China, you know, using all kinds of things they can do, trying to, you know, change the hearts and minds of people in Taiwan, and hopefully uh, this, our people will vote against uh, Taiwan, because Taiwan obviously is not their preferred candidate. And secondly, uh, we've been talking about this kind of midterm election. As you know that we, every four years we have two, we have uh, national elections, LY election and presidential election. In between, you have local elections, county magistrates, mayor elections, and so on. And the incumbent party at the central government level if I remember correctly, always lost the midterm election. Yeah. That's what happened. In other words, people are not happy about the incumbent government at the same government level, and they will punish the government. But even having said that, as I said at the very beginning, the incumbent president always won the re-election. You know? So I don't know why, but that's the fact. And finally, let me talk about this kind of coattail effect or the swing effect that may happen in this election. And obviously, for our party, uh, we have a very strong presidential candidate. So we are hoping that this kind of coattail effect will, will be uh, taking place. And all the uh, district LY members will be, uh, you know, uh, benefit from that. But the problem is that, I have to say, to be honest, according to the poll, polling data, the approval rating for the KMT and for the DB are pretty much the same. In some cases... KMT, the party itself, has a better and higher approval rating than the DPP. But when we talk about presidential candidates, Taiwan has a better and higher approval rating than uh, Mayor Han. And when it comes down to uh, every district, you know, it, it changes that. It's personality-based, personality it's character-based, and all candidate-based uh, in local legislative elections. So you have three different choices to be made by the voters. When it comes to presidential election, probably they will choose the one they like. But when it comes to party votes, because we have three votes, three tickets, one for the president, the other one for the district LY members, and finally, the party. So people may have this kind of strategic voting when they cast their votes. Let me stop here. Right, very quickly, Joanna, have you read any fake news recently? Well, I think there are two things. I used to chair ABC's um, polling unit and things like that. There are two things that I need to remind people. One is you have to really check the sources because you get all kinds of news every day. But also <clears throat> check the survey to see whether it's truly scientific. Car Popple has three major threats to validity of a survey. Threats to internal validity, construct validity, and, ex and external validity. If a poll allows you to selectively vote or selectively be answered, questioned, then it is not a poll, it is a vote. So, ladies and gentlemen, I think we have a lot of misuse and misnomer in terms of using those terms. And that is why I said even democracy is like a facade. In, in the facade, it's beautiful, it's nice, all the right words. But let me put on my business head for a short second. What is the best for Taiwan? I asked 
myself, and people ask whether they're better off. The best place for Taiwan is like, you know, DPP always say Formosa. The beautiful island was a trading island. It thrived when it trades with the world, when it allows the free flow of technology, capital, people, business opportunities. So any, any grand strategy that blocks part of the market from the free flow of trade and capital and movement of people will not benefit a small island, which is so beautiful. We believe this is Formosa. And we also believe its true mandate was a really fantastic trading nation, much like the Netherlands in its small little um, sort of territory had such a huge influence to the world. So, you know, my last final wishes is Taiwan goes back to its true mandate, its true calling, and continue to facilitate trade and free flows from the United States, perhaps to China. But even if they too decided not to trade, then from Europe to China and to the United States with our um, guests here. And this decision will be made by people who may not be intelligent or intellectual voters, but they're informed voters. And that's the long answer to your short question. Informed voters, they have massive sources of information. They read from Japan, from US, from Europe. They listen to their neighbors, and they will make that decision, each vote to the voting poll at that time. Thank you, and I'd like to thank my guests, Alexander Huang. Joanna Lay, Lord Zhejiang, and Ross Feingold. And that's where we'll leave it here on Taiwan This Week. And you've been listening to a special show recorded at the ICRT ECCT 2020 Election Roundtable event in Taipei. And I was joined at that event by Alexander Huang, Joanna Lay, Lord Zhejiang, and Ross Feingold. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And we'll be returning to our regular format next week. In the meantime, though, don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps. We can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.